You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. We're jumping back into our series in Nehemiah. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles back there. Feel free to grab one and borrow it. If you don't own one, take it. It's our gift to you. If you're a note taker and you like to like journal in your Bible, we also have these Nehemiah, uh, they're ESV journals. So they just have the scripture on one side and then an open side. Feel free to grab these as well. Like they're, they're free. We want to get the word of God into your hands by any means necessary because we believe that it is super important for us as a people. So with that, I'm going to actually have you guys turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. That's where we're going to be jumping back in at this point. So feel free to turn there. I'm going to turn there myself. And then I'm going to pray one more time before we dive in. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you that you want to speak to us as your church. Lord, that you use your word to to touch our hearts and to touch our lives in a deep and meaningful way. And so, Lord, we do, we lift up ourselves and we pause in this moment, recognizing that it is holy and it is special. And there's a word that you want to speak to each one of us, Lord, regardless of our background or our choices or our upbringing or even where we're at in our current faith journey, Lord, that you want to speak into that and so Jesus like you said Lord we pray that we would have ears to hear what the spirit wants to speak to us this morning and so God just may you speak through me and deliver your word to your people in Jesus name amen so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1 we're going to be reading through to verse 12 when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Verse 4, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on the high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Matthiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Mesuiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Milkajah, Hashem, Hashabadah, Zechariah, and Meshalem. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra prayed, praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Janan, Achab, Shabiah, Hodiah, uh, Messiah, Kaliah, Azariah, Josabad, Hannah, Hannah, sorry, Hannah, Hannah, and Peliah, 
instructed the people in the law while, they, while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is the word of the Lord this morning. So to give us some background about what's happened in the book of Nehemiah to this point, is we see Nehemiah getting this this update and this word back in Nehemiah chapter 1, that the city of Jerusalem, the, the city of the dwelling place for all of God's people, is just in complete ruins. The gates are burned and the walls torn down. People are struggling to survive because of all this. And it's left them completely open to whatever enemy passes them by. So people are robbing them and attacking them. And there's just this constant fear and struggle in their current state. And Nehemiah hears this and it cuts him deep in the core. And he begins to pray and and to seek God on what he should do. And he feels this this call and this pull to go and be a part of rebuilding this wall. So he goes and he assembles this ragtag group of people out of the people that are still there. And they rebuild the walls and they're able to complete it within 52 days, which the wall had been unfinished for 500 years. So it's a pretty big achievement that they experience. And they do it all amongst there being slander and death threats from their enemies. And they, they essentially, they get this wall built and they keep track of how they're doing it. And they do it as a community and they do it as this amazing collective effort of just ordinary people doing miraculous things. And then the people are able to reoccupy the city. And that's where we're jumping back in. <clears throat> and maybe you're like, why in the world would you split a book in half? Um, and honestly, I did because I felt like it was a powerful point to, to, to pause and to look at it, the practical of this, they're rebuilding this city and they're creating a community and they're working together and doing the hard work in this moment. But just because the city is built does not mean the work is done. There's, the book is actually split in half where there's this half where they're talking about the rebuild physically and then there's this second half where it talks about this revival that breaks out in the people of of God in their hearts and that's where we're at this morning so it's a week after they finished the wall and the people have reoccupied the city and a week later before businesses are reopened before schools are reopened before the community can really get back to normal their first act as a people is to gather in a public square and they ask the priest to read the scriptures to them. 
And I love it because it's not just this Tolkien thing where it's like, hey, can you read like a Bible verse to make us all feel good? You know, one of the coffee cup ones would be really nice that just makes us all feel happy. And, but instead he's like, no, like they, they, they are asking Ezra to come and read the Pentateuch. So the first five books of the Bible and they all are standing there in this front of this gate, in this open square as Ezra's up on this platform. And he's reading for six hours. Super funny because every pastor I've read that talks about this chapter, they're like, this is like the greatest thing ever. Like the idea of just preaching for six hours. And I'm like, I don't know about you. That does not sound like the greatest thing ever. That's a lot of work. <laughs> uh, but this idea, right? They're, they're, they're hungry. They want to see God's word. They want to hear God's word. They want to... And essentially what they do is they hold a worship service, a church service for them as the people of God. And so I think what's interesting what, about this story and about what is happening for them is these people come back into the city that was their home, that had been, they've been defeated and it had been torn down and and there's not really, like, other than their heritage, there's not really a connection to this city. But once it's done and the walls are built and they're able to send word out and say, hey, it's, it's safe, you can come back. The city fills back up with 50,000 people. And there's 50,000 people standing as Ezra reads the law over them. And the reality is these people came together around the word of God because they knew that's really what united them. It wasn't about the city. It wasn't about their nationality or their heritage, but it was ultimately about their faith. That's what brought them together. People were coming from a variety of different stories in different places. There was people who rebuilt the wall. There were families who had fled because it wasn't a safe place anymore. You know, the people of God had been scattered throughout the earth at this point. But now they can once again come together and be together as the people of God, hearing God's word together. And something that's important for us to know is that's actually the point of God's word. God's word's meant to draw us together, to bring us together. And in this moment, as Ezra is standing on this platform, above all the people, as they can see him, I love how it, it reads. It says that he just opens the book. There's no magic. He doesn't say that he's super eloquent. It just says that he reads the scriptures and the Levites help in the instructing of the people. And I was going back thinking through my own journey and like, thinking about what, is it, what is it, has it looked like for me as I've read the Bible. I actually brought a bunch of my old Bibles because I was like, just thinking through like how each, and I was looking at them yesterday and thinking through how they represent different seasons of my life. Seasons where I was really young and naive and I don't agree with half the things I wrote in my Bible. Seasons where I struggled deeply in sin. Seasons where I had these great joyful moments where I met my wife and I got married and 
you know, we had our children and we've gone through the adoption process with our other two. And I realize there's so much of me in my Bibles because I write in them and I journal in them and I write prayers and I, and I lean in on these ways. But I'm not a person that grew up in the church. My first experience with the scriptures was when I was in a freshman in high school and sitting in silent reading in my band class after, you know, smoking some pot and reading the book of Revelation. That was kind of my entrance into the studying of God's word. And I remember just thinking, like, this is a really interesting book. And being really taken back by the idea that there's people all over the world that are surrounded around this book. That it brings us together. Now, I was getting coffee with someone from our church, you know, recently, and we were sitting having coffee, and he asked me this, this question that I actually thought was a really good question. And he was sitting across me, and he was very genuine when he was talking. He's like, do you ever feel this pressure to be, like, entertaining as a pastor? And I was like, that is a really good question. And I was like, somewhat, yeah. Like, I want, I want to be well-spoken, and I want to be, you know, clear. But I don't think I necessarily need to have funny jokes or be lighthearted or give people, like, the seven keys to financial freedom, things like that. And I remember as we talked, I said, you know, at the end of the day, the most important task for me as a pastor is to bring God's word and to bring it to God's people. And that's why we operate the way that we do as a church. That's why we teach through books of the Bible. That's why we open the scriptures when we study God's word together on Sundays. And I appreciate the question because as he, he was asking me, because he shared that the trend that he feels like he sees is there's, there's this need to be cool and funny for a lot of pastors. And it's a true statement. There's churches out there that are based entirely around experience. And to, to get an emotional response out of us. And my heart for our church isn't that. My heart for our church is that we'd be based out of relationships. But we also that we would be a people that are fully submitted to the authority of God's word. Because as a follower of Jesus, you know, I give my, I give my, my life over to this book. I believe that this gives me the roadmap for my life. Telling me the things I should do and the things I shouldn't do. And it cuts deeply into my heart in a, in a very tremendous way. To cause me to be a better man, a better father, a better husband, and just a better person in our community. And so church, this morning as I'm up here and I'm sharing, I want to ask us, are we a people that are gathered around God's word? Individually. Are you seeking God's face by reading his word? One of my favorite preachers is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, I think he said it best. He said that the word of God is like a lion. You don't ever have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. And I love the beauty of this this statement because there's not a pressure for me 
to defend God's word. I don't feel like I have to make a case for it. And I love this moment in our text where Ezra simply just opens the book and allows God's word to clearly speak. And the power of this moment is felt deeply in the people of Israel. Because they are united around God's word because it's God who made them a people, but it's, they're also brought alive by God's word. And as I was reading in the scriptures, that, that, you know, that was their hearts that were touched. They were touched deeply in this moment as Ezra stood and read God's word. They respond in this act of worship where they, they had seen their sin. They had seen their mistakes. They had seen their inability to live up to God's standards. But the people responded in three ways. They respond with shouting amen, which means so be it or let it be so. And then they respond in worship as they bow to the ground, understanding their place that God is above them. And they respond with weeping. And so as they heard the word, they knew it was right. They knew what it meant for them. And as they bowed down to God and worship, they weep. And I was thinking about this, the, the emotional pull that we have at times. I don't know about you, but in my own story, in my own walk with the Lord... There has been times where I'm sitting in a sermon and I'm cut deeply to the heart. And it, it convicts me. And it makes me weep. Where I see it, man, like... Usually for me, it's when I realize that my heart is just so far off of what it's supposed to be. But the beauty about the Spirit of God and the way that God speaks to us as His church is not that He doesn't come up and slap us across the face and say, hey, figure it out. Instead, he comes alongside us as a loving father and he pulls us close. And he just reorients us gently. Because God is a loving father. He's not a brutal dictator. And the reality is, I can bring good illustrations or fancy stories or set up inspirational testimonials from people but I also, at the end of the day, have to ask at my, the core of my heart, do I believe this is what will bring life? I don't. I'm like the guy that loves listening to TED Talks and loves documentaries and loves learning and understanding how our brains and our bodies and all this different stuff works. And, but at the end of the day, there's something special about God's word. Because when God created the world, he didn't sit there with his hands and mold it. But he spoke it into being. When he gave life to Adam and Eve, he didn't, you know, pump them full with like an air pump. But he breathed his breath of life into them. And that's where life was produced. Paul the Apostle says it this way when he's talking to a young pastor named Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says that all scripture is God-breathed. 
So we believe this book is God-breathed, that it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What Paul is saying there is he's saying we need to know that this book has the ability to give us everything we need. But for us to be able to do that, we need to open it. We need to allow God's word to get into our hearts and into our souls. And it's important for us as followers of Jesus to become people of the world, people of the word, to allow God's word to speak into our hearts and lives. And many times we want to find those other ways. We want to find ways to fix our problems or fix our lives through sermons, through podcasts, through friends, through books, through counseling, you know, or whatever else there is out there. But at the end of the day, what we need is we need to get God's word into our heart. And Nehemiah's day... They didn't have the ability to go and read their Bible. That wasn't a a thing. The printing press wasn't invented. It was incredibly difficult to get it. But in our day, God's word has never been more accessible than it is today. The hard part is, are we a people that will open it and allow it to do its work? I kind of describe reading my Bible like going to counseling. I really like counseling, but I hate going. Because I'm always stressed out that I'm not doing it right. (laughs) And I always am like, what am I going to talk about when I go? But it's this deep thing where it touches us in a, in, a, in a core place where there's healing and there's life and there's joy that is brought through God's word. The author of Hebrews describes the word of God this way in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so as God's word is coming into our hearts, it's clearing up things that are going on deep in our souls. It shows us where there's sin, where there's wrong thinking, where there's flaws, where there's brokenness, where there's false narratives that either you've taken on yourself or you've had spoken over you. And it's in this place that we can feel like the Israelites feel. They felt their sin. They felt their guilt. And this causes them to weep. The thing to notice here, though, is what Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites say in this moment. They say it in verse 10. It says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Spend some, spend, sorry, send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. So don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And what they are encouraging in this moment was to see that their past choices, their sin, is not the end. And church, if there's something I can make sure like I, you hear this morning, let it be that. You're not defined by your worst moment. There's not a reason to weep. 
It's a time to celebrate because God was with them. God was doing something new. God was ready to do more. This was a moment to celebrate, similar to the story of the prodigal sons, where the son goes away and takes his inheritance and says, hey, dad, you know, you can drop dead. I just want my half. And he goes out and lives wildly until a, you know, a famine hits and he loses all his money. And then one day he's eating out of a pig trough and he comes to himself and he's like, man, my dad fed his servants so much better than the way that I'm living. I've made a horrible mistake. So as he, he just realizes, he's like, I'm going to go home. And he begins this journey home and as, as he's walking on the way home, He's doing what all kids do. He's preparing his case and his speech. He's like, all right, when I get there, I'm going to say I've messed up and I just want to be a servant, but I just want decent food and like shelter. And he's going through this thing. And as he comes over this hill, his father's looking out and sees his son who had been gone probably for years. And the father gets up and runs down the stairs and runs out the door and runs out into the hill, the hill country and runs to his son and grabs him. Doesn't give him the opportunity to dive into his speech, but he goes to his son and kisses him and pulls him close and hugs him. And he celebrates that he's home. A lot of times we live our faith like we're that son. I just, I just need to explain myself. I've really messed this up. But I'm here to tell you that the father's looking at you saying, I don't need you to explain it. I just want to pull you in. I want to speak over you. I want to pour life into you. I believe God does that through his word. You know, many times we feel the weight of our mistakes, our guilt, our shame, but the beautiful thing is that he has given us a road forward. And that's what you'll see as you read the Bible, as you allow God's word to speak to you. You'll see a God who is not absent or a God who's judgmental, but you'll see a God who is pursuing his people. And this is why we need to be a people who are in our Bibles reading and learning and understanding more and more and allowing the Word of God not just to be an intellectual exercise, but a heart level exercise. Because it's in this place that we begin to see the character of a God who loves us so intimately and desires so much for us. Because really all the Bible is pointing to one thing. It's pointing to Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. And I love how Nehemiah puts it where he says that the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Because as followers of Jesus, he is our true source of joy and our strength. Because, and just to, so we're aware, like if you can open your Bible and you can't 
can't see Jesus, you won't have joy or strength. Because we can search the scripture and find other things. That's what happened with the religious leader in Jesus' day. They had stopped looking for him. Instead, they were looking for morality. They were looking for power. They were looking for rules. They were looking for a way to dominate, a way to achieve and perfection, moralism. And this is why Jesus, when he's walking the earth, doing his earthly ministry in John chapter 5, verse 39, he says to them, he says, you study the scriptures diligently. So you study them faithfully. You know them deeply. Because you think in them you have eternal life, but these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Because this book, through the power of the Spirit, will always point us back to Jesus. And our hearts, as we open this book, is Jesus, show me who you are. Let me see your love for the lost. Let me see your love for me. Show me how to be a patient father, a loving husband. Show me how to to love my children well. Because it's all about Jesus and because of what Jesus has done, We are no longer slaves to sin. We're not measured by our acts, you know, or our accomplishments or torn down by our failure to meet that standard. But instead we are redeemed and we're a new creation because you've been, you've become a new creation. You've become a child of God. He paid our debt for sin on the cross, being, bearing the full weight of God's wrath and rose again on the third day, defeating sin, Satan and death. Because of Jesus, we can be right with God and we can, we've been given this new life. And it's because of Jesus and the Spirit that He wants to speak to you through His Word. And so church, this morning I want to ask you this week, read your Bibles. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't really know how to do that. And that's a totally normal question. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I did this class for my high school students because we had a Sunday night service and they didn't want to sit in the service. And I said, all right, we're going to do a class on how to read your Bible. And so a bunch of other adults found out about it and there was this major push from some of the adults to try to be a part of the class and ultimately we didn't let them because it just seemed weird and... um, and I wanted to focus on the high school kids, but I remember the power of that moment because seeing how many people I knew and people that had been in the church for a long time and very devoted, very passionate about their faith, but they had this mentality where they're like, I don't know how to read my Bible. 90% of that class was me setting up little timers for them and just being like, all right, read for 10 minutes. Let's read this together. And then we would just talk about it. What do you see in this passage? What is it talking about? Does it speak anything into your hearts? Because here's the thing about reading your Bible. It's not magic. 
You just do it. You just allow God's word to speak to you. And so I want to ask you, if you don't know where to start, start with the book of John. The book of John is written at a sixth grade reading level, so I know all of you can read it. It's probably why it's my favorite book. It's the easiest one for me to understand. (laughs) Um, But as you read it, I want to encourage you to do something. I think it's easy for us to get in these ruts. Because maybe you're a devout follower and you read all the time and you know that's awesome good job but I want to encourage you to read it with fresh eyes let your heart be wrapped with awe because a lot of times we'll read the stories and we just kind of glance over them yeah Jesus is walking this guy that can't walk for like 30 years. Jesus is like, yeah, get up and walk. And then he gets up and walks and they're like, cool, all right, next story. And he like casts this net out. There's all these fish. But feel the weight of that moment. This man that can't walk, that would have clearly been able to be noticed walking as his legs would have been atrophied and he's struggling. Realizing that the God that we we come to worship on Sunday mornings, that we sing songs about and we encourage us one another in to, to worship and to follow. The God that healed that man is the same God that wants to speak to us in our hearts. So allow your hearts to be wrapped with awe when you study God's word. And just allow it to grab you in a deep and meaningful way to remember why he's worthy to be worshipped and worthy to be followed. So may we be a people who are followers of his word. So God, let's, I just thank you that you do. You want to speak to your people. That you have a heart that is very much alive and wants to touch and move in the hearts of these people. And Lord, if there's fear or there's doubt or if there's anything that's stirring in the hearts, Lord, I pray that you would grab a hold of them or that you would speak in love to your people, that you would give them the ability to follow and that if there's some conviction or something that's stirring in their hearts, that they wouldn't allow that to just be left by the wayside, but that they would lean in in this time, that they would follow through. And so, God, I thank you that you love your church and that you love us as your people and that you call us to be a following people. And so, Lord, we do, we lift up our hearts to you this morning and we ask that you would continue to speak and work in our hearts and lives this week. And I do, I pray that people would, they would start diving into your word and seeing the beauty of who you are. So we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.